2: We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce
3: debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on. Rinse and repeat. We have an
1: opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine.
0: We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of the year. Obviously, we want to see that happen.
4: What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm
1: Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme. So Ewan, we're skipping Prime Minister's questions today because we have government ministers coming out of our ears. We're going to be hearing from Gareth Davies, who is the Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, plus the Farming Minister, Mark Spencer.
4: Yeah, really interesting uh, bit of uh, news there. Well, it's a call from David Miles, Chief Forecaster at the UK's Office of Budget Responsibility. He says that contrary to what you might expect, a shrinking population, which of course we very much don't have at the moment, but we might well have in the future along with a lot of other countries in Europe, could actually be good for living standards Mm. Um, and he gives the example of uh, Japan which has already seen its population fall by 4 million admittedly to still a pretty large 124 million where a lot of the eco data has been poor GDP has been growing slowly and there's been lots of concern over that but he says the reality is that living standards in Japan have actually held up pretty well.
1: Uh Aha, living standards. And I think that's really crucial and crucial to all the conversations we're having with with government. No, I did think it was, I agree, it was a very interesting bit of research. So the idea fundamentally is that if you're, um, if your population is decreasing and ageing then uh, you're going to end up being poorer you have fewer people who are of working age and fit and out there doing the jobs to then support the older population but David Mars is sort of turning that on its head and actually saying that it costs you so much money to build new schools, new hospitals new roads etc for all of the youngsters that you might have in, in the economy uh, that that actually may outweigh you know, the, the issues of an ageing population which is quite different thinking most people mm. stick to this economic adage that demographics is destiny.
4: Yeah, and he he, he undoes some of this uh, thinking, which, as you say, is very much the consensus. And he says that Britain has not collectively invested enough to keep many of its capital assets, schools, the rail network, roads, etc. Mm. at a level that can keep up with the demands from that ever rising population. So he says that although GDP, that top line number, uh, may be increasing, although it didn't in July as we're here, If you share that out amongst people and look at the resources we have to use uh, and we're not building those resources, that's a problem.
1: It is, um, but I still don't think it's fundamentally a great argument, is it? Uh, You know, that you're not investing enough to keep up with the numbers of people that you have in your country or whichever country it is. That's still not a particularly good argument, is it? You should try to invest um, for the future, as it were. Um, And also, I think that Miles points out this idea that it's, also, that people are putting off having children till later because the costs are so unbelievably high. You know, the cost of childcare and just raising a family is so expensive. Again, I think that that's generally a really, really negative kind of damning uh, point. But anyway, to the point around GDP that you make, I want to pick up on that because it's actually where we started with uh, Gareth Davies, the Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury. So we got the monthly GDP data out um, today. This was. For July. Um, so bit by bit, it gave us a little bit more information. Effectively, the wet weather and the strikes meant that we did a lot worse than most economists had expected and the UK economy shrank by half of 1%.
4: Yeah, this is another bit of disappointing data. We, yesterday, we had the jobs uh, numbers and unemployment uh, rose uh, on the month. Uh, And today, yes, this disappointing GDP data. I have to say that the uh, GDP numbers in June were actually rather good. But it does seem like there is momentum building, that the UK economy is losing steam, as you would expect, given the interest rates. So this is useful for the Bank of England, but it's not great news for the UK economy. Well, we talked about these numbers and the outlook for the economy with Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, Gareth Davies.
2: The data out today has been explained by the ONS as being as as a result of two one-off factors. One is uh, the wet weather uh, in uh, that particular month that's hurt uh, retail sales uh, by about 1.2% which is down. Uh, and also construction, so that that is one factor. And as you allude to, the other factor is uh, industrial action, particularly in the healthcare sector, and we've seen uh, a drag on uh, on growth as a result of health sector output. Um, so I think it's important to one identify what has caused today's figures, uh, but two put it in the context of the overall picture, which is that you know at the end of Q2 growth was up unexpectedly by by some estimates, uh, but also uh, the IMF, as you alluded to as well, has, uh, has, has uh, upgraded significantly their growth forecast for the UK. The Bank of England have said that we're going to avoid a recession and the ONS revised their uh, previous uh, analysis to say that we were one of the fastest growing economies out of the pandemic. So uh, it is important to put this data out today in the context of the overall
3: uh, mm. picture. Yeah, context is obviously important and the forecasts are, are, are accurate. Uh, but Gareth, what is what is, your lev- what is your level of confidence that we are not in the foothills of a recession right now here in the UK?
2: Well, I remember not so long ago, a lot of the forecasters were saying that we'd be in a recession by now and that hasn't happened. As I say, I think the IMF, the Bank of England and the OBR mm. have all upgraded their uh, forecasts for growth for the treasury for the government what we are doing is uh, you know seeking to ensure that we stimulate growth through our active policies so whether it's workforce participation as you saw at the budget with the childcare reforms still 2.6 million people who have healthcare
3: issues who have not returned 2.6 million people Gareth and that's linked to the NHS and the failures in the NHS you have to fix the NHS to get some of those people back it 2.6 million people
2: so What I was going to say is we are taking decisive action to increase workforce participation but also trying to unblock some of the issues for those who want to work to be able to work. So we're piloting uh, various schemes, for example, to help the disabled and those with long-term health issues by providing extra support to them to get them into the workforce because we recognise that uh, we, we want to... You know there's more work to do to get people uh, back into the uh, workforce. We, you know, ha- clearly have a post pandemic situation in the NHS where we need to clear the, the, the backlog of appointments. Uh, the industrial action is not helping that, and we've been very clear. Uh, you know, the industrial action has caused, uh, I think, nearly 900,000 appointments to be cancelled, and so uh, we are very clear about that. That is not something that we agree with and uh, is clearly having an impact, but overall. Mm overall i think the employment record is strong unemployment is still uh, you know lower than most of our international competitors sure. and payroll yeah. employment is still at record highs yeah. so again contacts is important
1: yeah i mean and but that's part of the problem of, for the uk isn't it it's the, the, that that f- is fueling inflation the bank of england though expects um britain to stagnate basically for much of the next two years so maybe you know we aren't in recession, but we're certainly bumping along the bottom. And that is the fundamental issue for Britain It's actually raising long term economic growth. It's not much to celebrate if the next two years are going to be stagnant and living standards are under continued enormous pressure.
2: Well, the thing that we've got to do is, uh, as I've said many times before, the top priority, the thing we've got to do is cut inflation. We've got to get inflation down because that acts as a drag uh, on growth. And the Prime Minister, the Chancellor, I have been very clear that is our number one priority. We've got to make sure that... What we do in the Treasury, fiscal policy is aligned with monetary policy. That we support the Independent Bank of England to tame inflation and mm. get it down.
1: Do you have to start cutting? Though is the triple lock on UK pensions going? I mean, it looks like William Hague has basically taken the heat from the Prime Minister by calling for the pensions guarantee to be ditched. The IFS that we were speaking to only yesterday saying that it's going to cost an extra two billion pounds more than budgeted. Two billion. That's not insignificant, given how little headroom the Treasury has. Is the pension's triple lock just toast?
2: Well, we're committed to the triple lock. Since we introduced it, I think 200,000 pensioners have been brought out of absolute poverty. About 12.5 million people in this United Kingdom rely on it and uh, use it as a foundation for their retirement. What we want to do is ensure that uh, you know we provide... Security and dignity in retirement while also ensuring that the system that we put in place is fair and sustainable and we're very clear that we're committed to the triple lock.
3: Cathy, you, you talk about the, the, the Bank of England and of course it operates with its independent um, policy and framework. How cons- I just wonder how concerned you and the team are at the Treasury about what's happening in the property market here as we see those rates increase and yesterday we had a story in the Bloomberg about UK mortgage arrears hitting a seven year high. It is really starting to impact households now. Are you worried about a property crisis here in the UK?
2: Well we monitor this extremely carefully as you would expect and the Chancellor has made a number of uh, different announcements not least the mortgage charter recently where he brought together mortgage providers to ensure that help is provided uh, in a very meaningful way to those who are struggling to pay their mortgages but as he has also said key to this is afraid, getting inflation down so that rates can come down and that will obviously help the housing market in turn. So a lot of this comes down to the number one priority and number one issue that we face, which is inflation, which is causing higher rates. We want to see that come down so that rates can come down. And the housing you're not, you're
3: not seeing a crisis point, for the an inflection point for this property market? We monitor
2: it very carefully, as you'd expect.
1: How can you change the minds of voters between now and the next general election? Labour's 20 points ahead. We were speaking to Labour's Shadow Business and Trade Secretary only a few days ago, Jonathan Reynolds, making a very clear pitch for business, for investors, for voters. Quote from him, People, to be honest, don't really know what the UK is trying to do or wants to be these days. He says that Labour's first offer to business, the city, and inward investors is political stability. He's not wrong. How do you gain voter trust once more?
2: Well, I think what I would respond to that is we have clearly uh, got an agenda for high growth. We've identified five key sectors uh, for growth and we're putting in place you know, consistently policies that will help us achieve growth, whether it's workforce participation or stimulating business investment. Uh, We have acted under very difficult circumstances as a government through two global shocks in the last couple of years to stand by businesses, stand by families and individuals. We are the party of government who stands by people. I think people will recognise that when that comes to uh, the election next year. But we have to ensure that we make people's lives easier when it comes to the cost of living. And that's why we are tackling inflation. That's why we are putting in place the policies for growth. Uh, And I think, again, uh, what we don't agree with is constant spending commitments that would require significantly Mm. more borrowing, you know, 28 billion on uh, climate Mm. change policies every single year um, is what Labour would do. And we don't believe that's right. Uh, classic uh, Labour Party policy is to rack up debt and leave the country with higher unemployment and when they left they've never left office with higher uh, employment they've always left office with higher unemployment. Mm. We just don't believe that's right and I think the British people will you know remember that. Well uh, talking of Labour uh, there's a kind
3: of reflection on Gordon Brown and, and selling, selling gold at the bottom of the market. This is coming from Columbia Threadneedle, Needle. Obviously, you know them well. Saying that the Bank of England, Gareth, saying that the Bank of England's quantitative tightening uh, programme is costing the taxpayer billions. And they're comparing it to when Gordon Brown sold gold at the bottom of the market in the early 2000s. You were at Columbia for 14 years. Do, do you agree with that assessment?
2: I think the Chancellor has been quite clear. You know, look, we've got an independent Bank of England. Uh, we support the Bank of England uh, in in their decision making, but uh, we are engaged very frequently with the Governor as you would expect and we monitor these things closely.
1: So that was the Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, Gareth Davies, there speaking to me and to Tom McKenzie on Bloomberg Radio earlier. Look, I think um, it was very interesting to talk to Gareth Davies, not committing to anything around the uh, pensions triple lock and whether that would disappear or not. He was sort of sticking to the Conservative line that it's in the manifesto even though we know there's a big debate around this. Um, I think that the revisions to UK GDP are allow Davies to be a little bit more positive about the UK economy. Uh, much more difficult, though, when it comes to individual sectors. One of those, I think, is actually farming. Uh, and we had a long conversation this morning with the farming minister about the difficulties of the UK post-Brexit.
0: I think it is one of the benefits of Brexit, genuine benefits of Brexit, that we are now in control of that border. that We can actually implement more checks. <laughs> But we're not
1: not implementing the cheque. The point being, the EU has exactly what it had before. Nothing has changed. We are facing a lot more friction with outbound and we are not having the cheques on inbound as per what the food standards... But but but
0: the the point is that we do now...
1: So that was the NFU president Minette Batters in conversation with Mark Spencer, who joins us now. Minister, thank you so much for your time on Bloomberg Radio. Does the government have a message that you think will be better received by farmers and growers today?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think our relationship with the UK farmers is very positive. We've obviously we are going through a change. Where, you know, we're moving in a different direction from direct payments to supporting farmers to to deliver environmental outcomes as well as produce great British. Uh, food, and I think you know any change can be uh, difficult to deliver and difficult to um, you know to to deal with if you are trying to run a, a farm and uh, you've got used to a traditional system of of um, support. But mm. you know, moving in that direction now, I think um, you know British farmers now are signing up to that and understand what we're trying to deliver and are enthusiastic to try and get on
4: board and support. Part of this campaign is a new buy British. Campaign is that really going to make any material difference? Asking consumers to buy British.
0: Well, I, I think it's quite. It is quite important. It, I, you know, I acknowledge that uh, it's somewhat symbolic, but I think um, uh, you know making sure that we are supporting UK farmers and the consumer can do that very well. And I think you know it's not just about supporting them because they're British. I mean, actually we're producing some of the best quality food anywhere in the world. That's done with the highest welfare standards, with the lowest environmental impact. Uh, there are many, many good reasons to support British hmm. farming, not just because it's uh, it tastes better than, uh, than other food around the world.
1: I know, but that can all be undercut if the imports um, from the EU, for example, are, are not subject to checks. Look, without EU level subsidies here in the UK, British farmers can't compete effectively with subsidised European food exports. There are numerous UK schemes that are meant to replace the EU money, but the complaint has been that that money uh, is not being paid to farmers quickly enough or sizably enough. Is there going to be any change, any plan to speed up payments?
0: Yeah, so we're announcing today that we are bringing forward those uh, payments. Obviously, the new Sustainable Farming Incentive opens on Monday, uh, lots of farmers have expressed an interest in getting involved in that in that scheme. But in the meantime, we've already running countryside stewardship that helps farmers uh, look after their land in an environmental way and, and uh, invest in infrastructure. We've also done a series of grants to help them invest in new technology and in equipment to make them more, um, uh, more productive and as well as more profitable. So, uh, and, and to be clear, the £2.4 billion budget that we had when we were members of the European Union still is ring-fenced and is there to support UK agriculture and to make us more productive.
1: So that was the Farming Minister, Mark Spencer, speaking to Stephen Cowell and I earlier. Look, I think it's really fascinating that the Farming Minister there was effectively admitting that the campaign that the government is launching today, this Back British Farming Day, was part of that, encouraging UK consumers to buy British produce, you know, if they're shopping online or whatever, that it's symbolic, pretty much more than anything else, that UK farming is in the midst of these really difficult changes. I mean... Perhaps on the flip side, Mark Spencer and Therese Coffee were laughed at and derided at the last National Farmers Union event that was in February. So You know, perhaps they're being a little bit more cautious in how they try to sell the government's plan now.
4: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, farmers are one of those constituents like uh, the pensioners who are traditionally rock-solid Tories. But I think it's been a difficult few years for farmers because of Brexit. Many of them, of course, voted for Brexit. But the shortage of workers we saw, particularly straight after we left the EU when we changed the migration rules, were a real problem for farmers. Well, there has to be said that the government did backtrack on that quite rapidly Mm. and allow more workers in not uh, pleasing a lot of people who voted for Brexit, but that did ease that crisis. But it was very tricky for farmers in that immediate period. So whether relations have fully recovered between farmers and the Conservative Party, I think that is really the interesting question.
1: So, we've had two ministers then speaking to us this morning. Let's get some analysis now from our senior government reporter, Alex Wickham. Alex, great to have you with us. Look, is the UK government struggling to sell its message, to get its point across? What's going on?
5: It has been a really tough year for Rishi Sunak. There's no getting away from it, politically, economically. You know, he's not in a good space right now. If you speak to people in number 10, they say, look, this is the natural cycle of both politics and the economy. We're in a difficult phase on growth, on inflation, um, and politically we're, you know eighteen months a year ish out from an election, those are those are traditionally not places where it's easy for a government to get a good message out there. However, the glimmer of hope that they have in number ten is that the cycle sort of continues and in a few months' time, say six months' time, inflation has come down. There is a little bit more growth, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, and people feel a little bit better off the headlines aren't quite so bad and at that point they can start to get a bit more of a positive message out there it's a sort of a long slow grind to get through these sort of difficult months before that happens i mean easier said than done but that's that's what they think in number 10
4: we've had two bold policies floated haven't we one is kind of Ditching the triple lock or tweaking the, the, the triple lock, and one is it not uprating benefits in line with inflation. Both of these are hugely controversial, aren't they?
5: Do, do you think either of them have got my chance of, of, of happening? I mean, the reality is the government needs to find money. The public finance is in a bad state. The government needs, the Tory party needs to offer voters something at the next election in the form of tax cuts. Um, and it needs to create wedges with the Labour Party that can make Tory voters, typical Tory voters, come out and say, there is actually a reason for me to go to the polls, you know, rather than just say, oh, the government's been rubbish, I can't be bothered. And they have highlighted, and ironically, those two those two policy areas that you mentioned, benefits and, pen, uh, and pensions, uh, kind of pull in the opposite direction because pensioners are the core vote of the conservative party if you get if you wind up the pensioners if you annoy the pensioners you know that is an absolute key target audience for the for the tories so messing with that historically has been seen as absolutely unthinkable for any conservative strategist the flip side is benefits where you know typically not tory Tory voters and it could create a bit of a wedge because it puts labor in a tricky position labor you would have thought should be defending the the poorest people in in the country and many other voters might think that benefits have gone up you know with inflation in the last year and as a result that is something that could be targeted so will they happen I mean the government seems to be flying a bit of a kite at the moment on these policies Mm. Um, you know I think they are looking at the reaction and seeing how it lands and you know ultimately they need to find savings somewhere
1: but that's the bit that I want to focus on I mean that's sort of extraordinary in and of itself that these huge policy changes, these um, conservative um, manifesto commitments and kind of benchmark commitments to voters are now all of a sudden being discussed. Yes, OK, we're a year out from an election. But I think when you're trying to make the argument, you know, that, that you are now a competent government under Ishi Sunak, floating ideas seems like a very tentative um, uncertain thing to do. Am I wrong in thinking that?
5: I don't think so. And, you know, Rishi Sunak's been criticised by his people in his own party for not being a decisive prime minister and somebody who, you know, even the sort of Political reset that was supposed to happen in September kind of got shoved back a bit uh, because because it didn't appear like he really you know had had much of a plan for that and you know absolutely on the policy front they they consult a lot they they you know they they often uh, take their time on things and and tinker rather than make big decisions. If you look at the last budget, it was pretty underwhelming. I think for most conservatives, certainly they wanted some more fireworks and they didn't get them and if we look at the autumn statement coming up we're told by Jeremy Hunt you know it's, it's not don't don't get your hopes up you know it's another tough one maybe the spring budget next year is when the Tories have no choice but to announce something bold and you know interesting because at that point it's the last throw of the dice. Labour has a poll lead of 20 points uh, give or take
4: I um, mean you know governments are unpopular midterm but is there a sense amongst Tory MPs that the road is starting to, to run out. The, 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 the path to the general election
5: is, is looking more and more tricky. Yeah, and, you know, last couple of weeks in September, they were hoping Tory MPs for a bit more of a, you know, punchy and uh, upbeat number 10 that was getting on the front foot. It hasn't quite happened yet, uh, I think it would be fair to say. However, it is important to say that a lot can happen in a year and the Tories do expect the polls to narrow a bit it is obviously an extremely tall order with everything that happened under Liz Truss and Boris Johnson it was always a tall order for Rishi Sunak to be able to win the next election Mm. but they are starting to think I do think there's been a bit of a shift in number 10 which is from sort of let's try and make the best of a bad situation and, you know, mitigate defeat. They've got a bit of a taste for it now, some of those advisors in there. And some of them are saying, you know what, actually, let's go for it and let's yeah. let's just throw out all the stops and try and turn this around. Easier said than done, but you know, they will, they will go for it.
1: Yeah, and I think that I detected that glimmer of, of a little bit more hope from Gareth Davies um, speaking to us because of the upgrading of the growth data, you know, revising up uh, UK growth, you know, and, and the government had been hit so many times with that idea of the UK being the worst performer in the G7 and that no longer being true, even if it's only temporarily, um, you know, is perhaps that window of hope. Look, let's end then on the thought on the Labour Party and not not forget that they've also been out and about like at the TUC conference we're coming up to party uh, political season now you know with that 20 point lead what's Labour doing with it?
5: Well Labour's strategy you know perhaps correctly because you can't argue with a 20 point lead has been over the last few weeks and months to basically say here's what we're not going to do, and you know, not give anything for the Tories to attack, and be very cautious and very defensive, and just say, look, you know, we're not the Tories. The Tories are rubbish. Remind voters of the record of the Conservative Party over the last few years. That's been Labour's strategy. That will have to change a bit. And the reality is, Labour, you know, will have to say over the next year something that is a bit more interesting and inspiring for voters. And to be fair, they have the beginnings of some policies that could be ambitious on house building, on the future of the workplace in Britain and workers' rights. Um, things like net zero by 2030 green transition for in the future economy. And it's those sorts of things that we're going to need to hear a bit more from Keir Starmer over the next few months. Um, because otherwise the Conservatives will pivot to a strategy of saying, look voters, look forward. What's Starmer mm. offering you? Not very much. And the Tories have nothing to lose; they can come up with all sorts of bold ideas at this point.
1: Yeah, Alex, thank you so much for being with us. That is our senior government reporter, Alex Wickham. So great to have you on the program. You and I really think that actually the next few weeks, you know, we raise benefits and we raise the idea of pensions. I think all of the debate, from my perspective, is around taxes. Which taxes? How much room is there either to cut taxes, which is the wish? Um, or the reality of potentially having to raise taxes. I think it's just all about the money.
4: It's all about money, isn't it? It's a subject that we like talking about, and it is absolutely central to political debate in this country. And, of course, it's not just central for the Tories. It's also very central for Labour, who want to spend more money, but, frankly, have got very few options to raise it, and they've been ruling some of those out. So it's a difficult debate for both parties.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it from us for today. We didn't bring you Prime Minister's questions. We had too many ministers to hear from. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen.
4: This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts.
1: And I'm Caroline Hepker. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg.
4: Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.